If you have your Bible, and I hope you brought one, if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 18. If you didn't uh, bring your Bible, you can find one um, near you, either in the chair right in front of you or the the chairs off to the side of you, uh, and you can turn to page 1038 if you're using one of our Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, please let me know after the worship service and I will get you one. We'd love to give you a Bible today. And we're going to start reading in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers or evildoers or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that this uh, parable that you share um, will sink into our hearts, that you would use it to bring about Um, a greater dependency on you and faith in you, and that we would be changed as we listen to your voice now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about prayer this morning, and I want to talk about a certain kind of prayer and God's response to the certain kind of prayer and a response from God that we can be very, very thankful for. Um, recently our church had what our church leaders called the 40 days of prayer. It wasn't a churchwide campaign. Rather, it was something our church leaders uh, and our prayer servants in our church were doing, taking 40 days to, um, just, just be open to God, pray for God, seek God. And it started, um, at a, at a council meeting, council is our elders and deacons. We have a monthly meeting, and we were talking about our church's budget. We've been kind of short on giving for several months and trying to think what what to do about that. Um, and we said, let's let's pray. You know, let's see God. Let's see God in this because we recognize there's not a simple solution when there's you know kind of a, a giving hasn't been meeting the budget. Not a simple solution, so let's just see God in that. And it's very faulty to think of prayer in economic terms, like uh, like this. Like, I need something in my life, so I'm going to pray that God will give it to me, and then when he does, I'll be thankful, and if he doesn't, then shame on God. <laughs> and think of it in this economic terms. I need something, and so let me pray, and God, you, you need to bring it my way. And... Uh, and many, many, many people actually think of prayer exactly in those terms. And those people generally are not the ones in churches because um, they've been disappointed. They've prayed for 
help in a trial. They've prayed for a job. They've prayed for healing. And, and God did not bring it to them in the way that they wanted. And so they think, well, God, what good are you? So people that think of prayers and prayer in, the, in those terms generally are not the ones here. But that's kind of a common view of prayer out there. So prayer is not about just trying to get from God the things or the circumstances that we would want. And so it would have been kind of wrong for our church leadership to think of prayer in that terms. Think, okay, God, well, it would be much easier to have some additional money. Let's pray and let's get some. But that wasn't our approach. Our approach was, we don't know what to do. Let's seek Let's just seek the Lord during this time. Let's pray fervently to God. Let's seek him. Let's tell him we, know, we don't know what to do. And let's trust that God will lead us. So we, we prayed. We fasted as well. We took one meal, encouraged our leaders, prayer servants, one meal a week. Just skip that meal so you can spend time in prayer. Fasting is something that helps us to um, show our dependency upon God. We say to God, God, we depend on you even more than we're depending on physical food. That's how much we need you spent that time um, when we were fasting on prayer. So what happened during our 40 days of prayer? I just want to share a little bit about what, what I felt God do in my life during the 40 days of prayer. Church-wide, um, there wasn't a big increase in giving. There wasn't, you know, the Brinks truck didn't make a stop to the Hope Church parking lot and leave a little care package at the door. Um, no unexpected big checks in the church mailbox. Um, God wants to bring about a spiritual result through our prayers. So let's look at Luke chapter 18 in that parable that Jesus told. The story is kind of a familiar one to us. And um, the difficulty is that so far, we are so far removed from the culture in Jesus' day. And so when we hear or read this story, because, you know, we're 2,000 years removed, um, we often jump to a certain application of it. Today, we are so accustomed to see the Pharisees negatively because we see their self-righteous, their condemning behavior in Scripture. So it's very difficult for people today to read the four Gospels and say, you know what I want to be? I want to be more like Pharisees. That's who I want to be like. You know what? Very few people read the Scriptures today and jump to that conclusion, right? Uh, Likewise, today we treat tax collectors, or ancient tax collectors, the ones we see in the Bible, with some kind of a sympathetic light, right? Maybe because we're thinking of Zacchaeus, this, you know, the, the tax collector who is short, climbed up a tree. Jesus calls him down from the tree, spends the day with Zacchaeus, and we kind of treat them um, with kind of with sympathy. The sympathetic, they're the sympathetic character today. Don't be like this judgmental Pharisee thinking that he's better than everyone else. And don't be like these people that are beating up on the poor tax collectors. Well, humility definitely is... Um, an important quality for someone who follows Jesus. And we see a call to humility in this story. We hear um, a message. Okay, don't be self-righteous. Don't condemn others and think that they're second class or third class. 
to those of us who obviously have life all figured out. Can we hear those overtones in this story? Um, But maybe Jesus has a more primary point to this familiar story. Um, See, in Jesus' day, the stereotypes that we have today, they're actually reversed. The the Pharisees were the sympathetic figures in Jesus' day. The the Pharisees were um, the, the people that others looked up to. Uh, the Pharisees were the ones who were serious about God and walking rightly, and they were very patriotic to the Jewish nation. Uh, the Pharisees actually came about during a time when many Jewish people were um, giving up their faith so that they could make life easier on themselves, to fit in with culture better. So they would abandon their, their, their faith in God, their religious values. That's how the Pharisees originated as a people, saying, no, 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 no. We have to put God first in our life. That's a, that's, a good, that's a good value, right? People looked up to the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Uh, in general, in Jesus' day, there was enormous approval of the Pharisees, and there was zero approval for tax collectors because tax collectors were the sellouts. They were the ones who... What they would do is they would buy, in essence, a tax-collecting franchise from the Roman Empire and would buy their way into this business where they could tax their own countrymen and then overtax them so that they could get wealthy on the overtaxation. So they were the sellouts, zero approval of the tax collectors in Jesus' day. So the question is, when everyone else had zero approval for tax collectors. The question in Jesus' parable is this, would God approve of a tax collector? Right before Jesus tells this story, he tells the story about um, an uncaring judge, an unrighteous and unjust judge, didn't care about others. And there's this woman who kept crying out to this judge for justice. And the judge did not want to have anything to do with her, didn't want to hear from her. But she was persistent, and he finally got so tired of hearing from her that he said, fine, I'm going to do what you asked me to do, not because I care about you, not because I want to hear from you. I just want you to go away. Would God say that to a tax collector? I just want you to go away. So Jesus, before he tells a story about this, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector tells a story of the unrighteous judge. Just go away. Fine, I'll listen. I'll do what you want me to do. Just go away. Right after this story, Jesus tells, no, not Jesus tells, uh, Luke tells of parents bringing their children to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples think, well, Jesus has a more important things to do than for you guys to be bringing your kids to him. Just go away. A little bit later, there's a story of a blind man who sits begging on the side of the street as Jesus goes by and he's crying out to Jesus. And the people around the blind man say, be quiet, just go away. Jesus doesn't want to hear from you. Is God going to say, go away, to this tax collector? All these stories touch on one of the deepest needs of the human heart and what God says about this deep need. So here's our deepest need, one of the deepest needs of our human heart. It's this, what we seek. We seek approval. 
one of the deepest needs of the human heart. We long to know, I am approved. I am esteemed. I matter. My life counts. Now, fighting against this deep need of our heart, our wounds, that we pick up along the way, that tell us, you're not approved. You know where these wounds come from. They come from personal failure. When we mess up, when we blow it in various ways, and we think, am I, am I approved? Hmm, I don't know. I just blew that one. They come from experiences of being rejected by others. They come from comparing ourselves to others who seem to be much more with it than we are, Right? looking at others who we think, oh, gosh, they have got many more skills than I do, much more smarts, much more good looks, much more talent, much more it than I do. So there's these wounds that we gain in our life through various experiences that call into question this deep need of our heart for approval. There's this tension. What do we do in this tension between what we really desire and all of these wounds telling us, ah, no, you're falling short. What do we do? Here's what we will do. We will do anything we can to cover up our guilt and our shame. We will use any tool at our disposal to cover up that guilt and that shame. Sometimes the tool that we use is I'm just going to run away. I'm going to uh, I'm going to hide from others. I'm, I'm just going to check out because I don't want to be rejected, disapproved by you. What does a Pharisee do to cover up his guilt and shame? Well, look at what the Pharisee says in verse 11. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. It's really interesting to, to see how Luke portrays or how Jesus portrays this, this Pharisee says that the Pharisee has, has a grateful heart. I thank you. The word is Eucharisto. It's giving thanks for God's grace. If you've, if you've thought of this Pharisee's prayer, put, 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 will you put the scripture back up for a second? Um, if you've thought of the Pharisee's prayer as, just to show, I'm not so sure that is what Jesus had in mind. He gave thanks to God's grace in his life. Thank you that I'm not like other people. Thank you that I haven't been caught up in the wrong crowd. Have you ever prayed that? Gosh, God, thank you for your mercy. I know that I could have gotten into a big mess in my life. I could have made a big mess out of my life, but it's through your grace that I stand on the right path. Thank you, God. Maybe there's some of that in the Pharisee, a sum of that, but also a mixture with a little bit of... Um, a little bit of pride because he goes on and he looks to his good works because look what I do, God. I, I fast twice a week. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a religious fellow. I, I give a tenth of all that I get. I tithe. And he starts comparing himself as well, right? Finds the, 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 the biggest sinner around that he could find, this tax collector over there and uses him as kind of the straw man. <laughs> he, he throws down the straw man, and I'm not like that tax collector. Of course, everyone could have said, oh, 
I'm not like that tax collector. The tax collectors were the lowest of the lows. We will do anything to cover up our shame. We will remind ourselves of the good that we have done. We will find the nearest immoral person for us to compare ourselves to. We will do that. We will do anything we can to cover up our guilt and our shame. At least I'm not like that real loser over there. You know, when I think back on my life, there was a time when I was not just, I mean, extended years that I very much was like that Pharisee. Um, I didn't realize it, but I was very much like that Pharisee. Back in high school, one time, for example, I kept a pretty spotless moral record as much as I could. Um, yeah, I didn't go to drinking parties. I looked down on those who did. I remained sexually pure. I looked down on those who didn't. I didn't realize it at the time, but now I realize that was just my hidden attempt for approval. You know? What are some of the other ways that we seek approval? Could be through our work or school performance. Look at the good that I'm doing. Could be rationalizing our sin, telling ourselves all kinds of reasons why our behavior is okay. Another thing that we can do to seek approval. There's a warning in this parable. The warning is this. Our self-justification drives us away from the grace of God. You see, Jesus, at the end of the parable, did not say, I tell you the truth. Both of these men went home justified. The Pharisee went home justified, of course, because he was a great guy, and so did this tax collector. Jesus did not say both of them went home justified, did he? He said this tax collector went home justified and not this other guy, the Pharisee. Because Christianity is really about putting our faith in the grace of God. And the truth is, through all of his good works, the Pharisee was no closer to God than the tax collector was. All it took was the tax collector putting his trust in the grace and the mercy of God, and Jesus says, that was the one who was justified. He was the one who was justified. So here's the point that Jesus is making, I think, in this parable. It's about prayer. God invites us to seek our approval through him in prayer. And when you do that, he will not turn you away. He's not like that unjust judge who just listened to that woman so he could get her to go away. He will listen to you when you call out for his grace and his mercy. So there's two important words um, in this parable that I want to call our attention to that uh, Jesus uses. Uh, The first word is what the tax collector asks God for in his prayer. Verse 13, he says, I, uh, Jesus says that he, the tax collector, would not even look up into heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So that word for mercy is not 
not if you remember last week's sermon, where um, the uh, the lepers cried out, "Lord, have mercy on us." Not the same word. The more common word for mercy is to show pity for, to show compassion to, and that is not the word that is used there. It's a much less frequently used word for mercy. And what it means is appease your divine wrath. That's what it really means. End your wrath. Appease your wrath. I will not survive under your wrath, God, so please, in your mercy, relent. Calm your wrath. So notice, he was well aware of the severity of his sin. He was deeply aware of the mess he had made of his life. And that the only way out of his mess was for God to do all of the heavy lifting. All of the heavy lifting. He knew. The tax collector knew that his contribution that he could make towards being righteous with God, justified with God, was zero, none. God would have to do all of the heavy lifting of justifying this man. So he cast himself to the mercy of God. Now, the second word that I want us to look at is what Jesus says about him after his prayer. I tell you that this man, verse 14, rather than the other, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Now, that is not some abstract adjective in that sentence. He was using a very specific legal term. means being declared legally not guilty, being cleared of all charges of sin. And when you cast yourself upon the mercy of God, he forgives you. And here's the key. The way that he then sees you, is not as this underperforming sinner that he has to keep on forgiving. And we often make that mistake, don't we? We think, God forgives me. How does he see me? He sees me as this continual mess up that he has to keep showing grace to. Here Greg comes again, asking for grace. Y'all forgive him. Oh, please, Greg, stop messing up. That is not how God sees you. He sees you as completely innocent with no tainting whatsoever of sin. So during this 40 days of prayer, I knew that people were praying for me as well as praying for other church leaders. And I want to tell you a little bit about what I heard from God during the 40 days of prayer. God showed me Um, Quite honestly, he showed me guilt and shame that was in my heart that I did not even know was there during the 40 days of prayer. One day about a month ago, I I prayed with another pastor that I had met who leads this prayer ministry. And um, he he and I met over lunch, said, I'd love to pray with you one of these days. So let's do it. And he asked me some questions while we were praying just to help me get in tune with yeah, where, where was there anger in my life? Anger or fear or disappointment or frustration? 
just some just some open-ended questions um, to help me process through what was going on in my heart. And as I shared some of the things I was thinking about, you know, we would we would pray together. We prayed for quite a while. And here's the deal: the more that we prayed, the more I got a sense of this this shame and this uh, guilt in my heart that I did not know was there at all. And the guilt and the shame was towards myself, as it often, as guilt and shame often are. But they weren't over immoral acts. Remember, I, I you know, I'm a guy who tries to stay away from immoral acts. It's not because of that that I was feeling guilt and shame. Where was the guilt and shame coming from? It's coming from this, from feeling like I had just failed God on a number of levels, just failing God, feeling like I was underperforming before God, that I was not being productive as God would want me to in my life. And also, you know what? I was feeling kind of frustrated with God as well. Things, some things weren't going as smoothly as I wanted them to in my life. Just, God, God, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with you. And guilt, feeling guilt over that. that I had no idea was there. And so in prayer, I acknowledged all of this guilt and all of this shame to God, including this guilt of feeling frustrated with God. I don't know if you've ever feel frustrated with God, but just... That was exposed to me, and I felt guilt over it, and I gave all of that over to God. I mean, seriously, I get, like, when I say giving it over to God, like in prayer, knowing that God was right there with me, that Jesus was right there with me, saying, it is time for you to hand this over to me. And that's what we did. That's what I did in this prayer. I handed it to God all of this guilt, and all of this shame. And as I did this, probably more than anything, I realized just how strong God is. God is strong enough. He's mighty enough. He's big enough to carry all of that guilt and that shame. Jesus, Jesus said, you can give this to me. I am strong enough, Greg, to take this from you. You don't have to hold onto any of it because you think I can't take it. I'm strong enough to take it all from you. Christ told me, this is why I died on the cross, so I could take all of the shame from you. So I was not holding on to any guilt or shame. He was quite happy to take it all from me. And he, he wasn't asking me to take to retain any of it as like a motivator. You know, just hang on to a little bit of it, Greg, so that you'll kind of keep in mind, yeah, try to work harder. Don't try to mess up. I didn't need any of it as a reminder. Jesus said, give it all to me. And at the end of praying, here's what I felt. I felt, I mean, I used to be a, a, a runner. I had to run 10 miles or so. And you run 10 miles, after you run 10 miles, you just feel, oh, you feel like you've just been cleansed. Um, that's how I felt. Like I was completely cleansed on the inside. Man, I've never felt like that in prayer before. I felt a little, I might suggest, like how that tax collector would have felt being declared clean from all of his sin, as lowly, as bad as his sin was. I felt completely clean. 
And I want you to know, if you feel like you are running your life trying to gain the approval of others, because you just feel dirty and messed up, if you feel like, like just low about yourself, if you've never really casted yourself on the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, man, I want you to pray. I want you to pray and do that. And really, I want you to do more than that. I want you to find someone and pray with them. I want you to find me and say, Pastor Greg, I would just love for you to pray with me. Or find one of our prayer servants at the church. If you've never done that, or if you are feeling guilt and shame, and mind you, I did not know that guilt and shame was in me before I started praying. You might not know that it's there. But if you feel that guilt and that shame, you need to find someone to pray with you. And I want you to remember three things from this tax collector. One, when you pray to God, don't rush to your own defense. Don't try to come up with excuses. Don't try to normalize your sin. Remember what the Apostle Paul said of himself? He said, I am the chief Sinner. I am the foremost of sinners. He didn't say I was the foremost of sinners back in the day when I was having Christians murdered. No, he said, I am. I am the, the foremost of sinners. And you can say that about yourself. I can say that about myself. Jesus tells this parable so we will know that God wants to hear from us in prayer. So you don't need to act like you're better than other sinners. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Two, know that Jesus' death was more than sufficient to make you fully clean. He doesn't leave some residue on you. Like, you know, the big baking dish you put the turkey in? And it gets all that grease over it. And then no matter how hard you try, that grease kind of stays on that little Pyrex container, whatever you're cooking in it. It's got that grease on the bottom of it. No matter how many times you put it in the dishwasher, it stays there. And year after year, you just see this. It's clean, but it's got this scum all over it, this grease that's just kind of baked on there. You think it's clean, but, oh, gosh, it looks horrible. That is not the forgiveness we receive from God. Every shameful act or thought that you have, Jesus is strong enough, mighty enough to take that from you, and you are spotless. And he does so without any anger or any disappointment in you. Now, three, I want you to notice uh, verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Isn't that interesting? An interesting phrase. He went home justified. He went, really says he went to his house justified. Why did Jesus put it like that? Why didn't he just say, I tell you the truth, this man went, was justified before God and not the other. He went home justified. Here's what I think Jesus was meaning by that. He let God's approval of him shape the rest of his life. He carried it home with him to this very practical place to him. His everyday life at his home, his, his 
around town life, his business life. He carried God's approval of him wherever he went. As one commentator put it, he had a new sense of peace, which showed itself in a new gentleness and a cheerfulness. He took his approval from God home with him. So third thing, carry home your justification. Don't let God's approval of you just remain in your head. Let it go to your heart so that you can carry that around with you. Carry home your justification. Two points on that. Remind yourself you are not a disappointment to God. Whenever you think you are, whenever you think you're underperforming, just not producing enough, God, I'm not being successful enough, I'm not doing enough right things, I'm not feel like you've given me these great gifts and I'm underusing them. And you've got to be disappointed. Just tell yourself that is a big lie. You are not a disappointment to God. And, and this next point, how to carry home your justification, you do not need to hide from others. Because God is not placing any shame on you. So why would you feel the need to protect yourself from feeling ashamed before others? Why? God isn't holding any of your faults against you, not one of them. Why would you feel like you need to put a show on in front of others and hide those faults? God is not disappointed in you at all. Why do you need to fear Why would you fear the disappointment of others? Don't hide from others. Carry your justification home with you. So the 40 days of prayer, as one of our leaders um, put it, the 40 days of prayers for our leadership never was about needing money as a church. Never was about that. A church is not healthy because of the money that it has. A church is healthy because of the healthy Christians that are making up the church. A church is healthy by having healthy Christians. And the one way to be a healthy Christian is to be clean and to know that you are clean and to get rid of your shame and your guilt. You don't have to get rid of the conviction of sin. It's okay to hear from the Holy Spirit hey, this is wrong in your life, and get on the right path. That's okay to hear that, to hang on to that holy conviction of sin. But you got to get rid of all of the shame and all of the guilt. And you do that by casting yourself on God's mercy. The only way to be healthy is to walk closely with God and to just be aware of his deep, deep love for you and that he approves of you so you don't have to go around seeking approval from others, most of all yourself. So this Thanksgiving, be really, really grateful for the grace of God and have peace with God. Listen, a word on giving. If you feel like you're able to contribute more, that's great to the ministry of Hope Church. Do it out of a thankful heart, not, a, not out of compulsion. But I want us to trust deeply and be deeply moved in our inner being by the 
grace and love and mercy of God. And I want us to know what God is building up here at Hope Church. He is not building a church where people can become better Pharisees. He is building a church here at Hope where sinners are set free from guilt, set free from shame, and then who can share that freedom with others. That's what God is doing here through our prayers and Hope Church. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that your ministry is searching for the lowly, searching for those who have humbled themselves and who feel deeply humbled by life's experience, and you raise them up, and you make us strong, and you give us grace and you give us joy. You help us to stand. You help us to be in relationship with one another, real relationship with one another, where we don't feel like we have to hide from each other. And you do that by speaking this word of approval. You are my son. You are my daughter. and you, I'm well pleased. Lord, Even right now, I'm aware that we have guilt and shame that we need to release to you. Sometimes we're aware of that guilt and shame, and sometimes we are not. Right now, even right now, where there is guilt over sin, where there is just shame over who we are underperforming before you, We want to give that to you right now. Will you make us free right now? Will you set us free? Will you help us to stand? Will you help us to be strong in your grace? Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.